some time now, five years to be exact, and obviously once you start getting into your uh, coming up on your 60th artist that you've done an entire discography ranking of, uh, obviously you've gotten through so many, you've gotten through the greats, you've gotten through some obscure ones, but also you've become so good at this podcast, so good at this award <laughs> looking at podcast, <laughs> that uh, you actually can kind of take risks and do what you want. Our season four, our super small mini season where we just did experiments and weird obscure shit, I think was very liberating because it just kind of showed we could do an episode on anything, and most importantly, people will listen to it because we're getting into some niche obscure stuff, and people are loving it. The fans love it. That's all they keep talking about. All 12 about. of them. All 12 of them. <laughs> so, uh, as such today, we are so excited to dig into one of my favorite artists, possibly of all time. Uh, just a, uh, one of the more obscure, it's a largely instrumental artist for the most part that also experiments in so many other different genres and things. That's right. This week, we're talking about the one, the only, the artist whose music sounds like an acoustic guitar laying down in a sunlit English countryside while trying to get high by huffing a 1970s synthesizer. That's right. We're talking about Vimeo. Uh, Duckula, if you're nasty. So uh, Vimeo is actually the moniker of Stephen Wilkinson, and he is a, a kind young lad who was born in uh, Wolverhampton in the West Midfields, England. And uh, just happened to, throughout his life, kind of just bounce around between musical loves. He obviously loved a lot of electronic music and a lot of warp record stuff early in the day. Also ended up loving a lot of, like, hard rock music as well. But as time went on and as he went to college, eventually discovered a great love of a British folk pastoral style. And ultimately, although he wanted to try and do all these different projects to take all those musical influences together, uh, his friends convinced him to, maybe you should just record it all under this name of Bibio, which is kind of named after, I guess, a fly fisherman's fly type thing, I guess. And long story yeah, short... that's what Silver Wilkinson's name Well, I heard that Bibio itself was also a fly reference, oh, too. Oh, random. Yeah, he, so... He just really likes fishing. He does a like fishing. He's a, he's just a very pastoral dude, which I'm, I'm totally there down there aren't with. more songs about fish. Anyway, <laughs> look at this. <laughs> right. But uh, long story short, uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful person, and he is a multi-instrumentalist, and his sound has changed and evolved so many different ways over the years, and we are going to talk about all of his albums and dissect them today. I am so excited about it. But most importantly, as much as we could go and rank all his albums, we have to have a committee together to put it all together. So, of course, that will include people like me. I'm Evan Sun. You might know me. I'm one of the interviews editor at Pop Matters. I write for a whole bunch of other places. But most importantly, I hope that you know me in the tweets and in the sheets as a host of this podcast uh, because I love this podcast and if you know anything about this podcast then you know the person sitting next to me the Olivier St. Louis to my video that's right we're talking about Taryn O'Reilly we were approaching that joke and I was like god there really aren't many options you did I think that was perfect yeah that's Bibio's perfect. girlfriend to my Bibio you know <laughs> How, how excited are you? I, I'm pumped. I uh, really love Bibio and had had checked out uh, sort of his middle three albums, but hadn't hadn't done a lot of other diving into the, the big backlog. So um, it's been really fun this week. I had enough time, like I started early enough that I've actually checked out like all of his EPs, 
and all of his rarities, at least that are on Spotify, which is quite a, a, a large collection of music. It was like 12 hours or something, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a blast. Lots of fun. Tons of varied things to talk about, and I'm going to stop talking. Yeah, but here's the thing. And the thing is, you and I can definitely talk about Bibio all day long, but we couldn't do it without our next guest. He is the expert. And in fact, you might already be familiar with him because he joined us on our ever-so-popular Weird Al Yankovic episode from, I don't know, season two, whenever that was. Time moves. It's the whole that thing. that was still season one. Dear God, it's the monster we created. Uh, most <laughs> importantly, you can also find him. He is the uh, editor and creator of the 2012's archive product, the2010s.net. Uh, and also, he is uh, the wonderful, rich baritone voice behind the musical output of Mikaija. That's right, the one, the only Nathan Nathan Stevens is here, Nathan! Thank y'all. Really I, appreciate the intro. Yeah, how you doing? Just the hype, man. Uh, very well. After a frigid and perilous time in Texas, we're finally opening into a spring that's been 70s and 80s and lovely, and Bibia's music has soundtracked oh, yeah. that gradual uh, <laughs> release from oh, sheer frozen terror pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super stoked about it. You've been a Bibio fan for some time, right? Yeah, my introduction was actually uh, outside of like I had known bits and pieces of him just because he was often lumped together with some of the chill wave people mm-hmm. like mm. Neon Indian. And then I reviewed the green EP for Pop Matters uh, in 2014, one of my first reviews for Pop Matters. And since then, it's just always been checking in on him. Even if I don't love his releases, I'm always fascinated to see what he's doing. He's got an interesting musical mind. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think we can really see what is displayed in his discography, which includes the albums that we'll be talking about and ranking, which include uh, his 2005 collections of demos uh, that is his debut album called Fee. There is his 2006 more uh, sepia-toned effort, Hand Cranked. There is his slowly moving into actual song composition, Vignetting the Compost from 2009. There is his first true and proper uh, breaking towards beats and the whatnot with Ambivalence Avenue from 2009. There is what some would consider his more commercial breakthrough in terms of Mind Bokeh from 2011. There is his kind of uh, larger pop improvements upon that in Silver Wilkinson from 2013. There is his, you know what, Steely Dance Cool album, A Mineral Love from 2016. <laughs> there is his uh, left turn towards full-on ambient with Phantom Brickworks from 2017. And then there is his slightly more pastoral renditions, which is Ribbons from 2019. Now, that is nine full-length albums. It's quite a thing to get into. But the thing is, his discography is a little bit weird, because if you kind of take all the bits and pieces, he has, of course, tons of EPs, and also some records, which are considered albums, but kind of aren't, and some EPs, but really, more than anything else, there's two main things we need to talk about. First off, from 20... To, I'm sorry, to 2009, 2009, there is something that he considers an album called The Apple and the Tooth. And that is such a weird thing to me because it does have new songs on it, but it also is the back half is entirely remixes of previously existing work. So I have a hard time considering that an album in terms of how we would traditionally rank things on this show, mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. yeah, it's it's only four new songs. And then I think it's all remixes of Ambivalence Avenue. Yeah. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah it's definitely... If- Go, go. Uh, no, it feels like a companion piece, which is cool, but it, it it doesn't feel like it stands alone if you don't know Ambivalence Avenue. Exactly. Completely. Yeah. Fully, completely. I agree. So let's, we're not going to count that. But the other one, and this is probably the trickiest thing and the biggest part of most contention, is Sleep on the Wing from 2020. It's basically a companion piece to Ribbons. It kind of has that same kind of pastoral but occasional electronic elements feel to it as well. 
But the thing is, is that it is a 10-track album that I believe is 28 minutes long, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. And he doesn't consider it an album. He considers it an EP. It just happens to be a 10-track EP. Per an interview that I did with him around this time, he mentioned that he likes considering it an EP because he feels like an album has certain expectations with it, and he would consider an album to be closer to the 40-minute mark. So for his reasons, he thinks of Sleep on the Wing as an EP. I don't know about y'all. That's a weird argument to make, because a 10-track EP is not an EP. I don't care what the length is. Like, that's... I, I have a hard time quantifying. It's in the same way that that one Sufjan uh, album, the All Men, All Together People, it's, you know, was eight tracks and it's 60 minutes long. Oh, it's an EP. Oh, fuck off, Sufjan. Come on. <laughs> Truly. That's not how uh, that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, it's, I mean, that's kind of where I'm thinking about it. I've certainly listened to it this week as if we could be ranking it there, but I kind of want to get other opinions uh, about what, where you feel it falls in terms of an official discography. I'm perfectly comfortable ranking it. Uh, partially because I feel like it fits into that very weird... It reminds me a lot of that Thundercat mini-album <laughs> where the Giants roam. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Which had them changes on it. And it kind of had the intent of, like, here are some cast-offs, but some of the songs became bigger than that, such as them changes. Yeah. And it was so well-produced that it was like, now nah, this is like... It's a slight album, but it's an album, at least from the listener's point of view. And that's how I feel about Sleep on the Wing. I, that's exactly how I feel about it, too. It is also, he has a couple other EPs that that aren't as long as this, but approach this length, but they also feature a song from an album. Most of his EPs are built around a single, yes. and then, like, have like take three off your to shirt. five, yeah. like, com sort of companion songs besides from those recording sessions, but this doesn't feel like that. It mm -hmm. feels like its own piece. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I definitely, I think we should rank it. Okay. Well, in that case, it is settled. We have 10 albums, and we're going to rank them in our 10 slots. And that includes The Hand Cranks, Knitting the Compost, and Billets Avenue, My Boca, Silver Wigginson, A Mineral Love, Phantom Brickworks, Ribbons, and Sleep on the Wing. And of course, that's 10 albums, 10 slots. Nathan Stevens, special guest, potential chartographer's all-star in the future. If we have you on again, and I think we might, you're lovely. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, we have 10 slots, 10 albums. We're just going to talk about it. We're going to have discussions. Opinions can change. We can give and take. That's part of the process as it goes. But Nathan, I need to know... In your personal, humblest opinion, what would you nominate for our number 10 position? Um, it would have to be the one that, as we were talking before the recording, I simply said, what the fuck is this? Hand cranked. <laughs> How? And that's, it's not even an insult. I'm just genuinely confused. <laughs> Here's the thing that confuses me about hand cranked. is the fact that when you have Fee, his debut, which is a collection of all sorts of different experiments and songs that he has collected over the years... He ultimately gave those demos to one of the dudes from Boards in Canada who ultimately got him signed to Mush Records, and that's how it kind of led out there. And so it's a collection of things. There's a coherence to Fee, which I think is so fascinating. And it may not be his greatest achievement, but you can hear little disparate elements of his sound kind of strewn throughout. Handcranked, it's like very deliberately his first proper studio full length. He keeps behind this fucking layer of static and think, fuzz and sepia toned weirdness that I fucking. Hate. Studio <laughs> is a strong word for what this is. I mean, I it's I literally at one point I was like halfway through this album, like my third time through this week, and was like, God, what a piece of shit. Like I, <laughs> it's literally maybe one of my least favorite albums I've had the displeasure of listening to for this podcast. It just 
it, it it's tinny there may be yeah the tinniness is honestly one of its worst attributes there may be like decent compositions hidden in here but they're recorded so badly like the debut which i've been pronouncing as five this whole time but it could be fee like there's there's some nice things in there there's moments of beauty even with the sort of throwback recording techniques that he's using hand cranked i mean there's multiple songs where i i think all that you really need to do is like go into the mixing and like turn a specific mid turn the trouble down, down yeah or turn the trouble down a little and it would be bearable but like for example above the rooftops can't finish it so annoying it's it's like the track before that was the one that gave me the most problem woodington because the first half's okay and then there's like a melodica that comes in and oh, i yeah. swear to god it's like a semitone out of tune <laughs> yeah. and it's just like ah! yeah. <laughs> i don't have a perfect pitch or anything but it like hurt a little bit For it sure. was physically discomforting well and then there's some tracks where like it's both a semitone flat and a semitone <laughs> sharp at the same time like there's so much distortion happening that like it, it, it like is almost painful sometimes um and like i said there's a couple compositions like i i don't hate quantock i'm fine mm -hmm. with like zupraxophone but like the these are slim picking. Yeah, it is. It is. I was. I starred every single track uh, of his that I have, and it's one of those things where I don't think anything here cracked like three out of five stars. Like it was just yeah. composition. It's just hard to listen to. And then he just recently did a vinyl reissue of it, and it sold out. I'm like, what fucking idiots are buying this <laughs> album? And the thing is that maybe if you're listening, we love you dearly. We're gonna get to your good stuff. I just have a great aversion to this album and I am, I am perfectly fine. We tend to wallow on bad albums. I don't need to talk about this thing anymore. Yeah, I am in full on. agreement with you of putting this at number 10 on our list. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Let's okay, move good. on. <laughs> and the thing is that his discography is so rich and so wonderful and so incredible that now we're starting to get to the point of like, now that that's out of the way, I feel a lot better because like there's just a lot of good things that are happening here. I don't hate anything else of the rest of the discography mm -hmm. like I do with Hand Crank. So, uh, Tarrant, I'm just going to toss it to you. Number nine slot of what we got. What would you put? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious as much as there are highlights here, it has to be five. I think yep. I think that uh, uh, Cherry Blossom Road is a perfectly pleasant ambient oh, it's just opener. This lovely, just cloud your floor. Um, I think yeah. Beulah and White is uh, a triumph, especially this early. Um, I think it's beautiful. I really enjoy it. Puffer is solid, and then you know it, it unfortunately falls into some of the same problems that Hand Cranked has. There's just but it's listenable. It's it's listenable, um, but it is far too long at 17 tracks. Um, and, you know, there's, there's diminishing returns, um, for diehard Bibio fans, which are, definitely exist if I'm looking at the, the play counts. We're going to sell out the fucking um, hand-cranked vinyl reissue. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, I there's things to like here, for sure, yeah. but it's inessential. What do you, what do you think, Nathan? No, I, I would agree with that, and I would go, as you referred to earlier, Bibio's buds with Boards of Canada, and this reminds <laughs> me of... <laughs> Sorry. Look, I gotta get my alliteration in sometimes. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> uh but uh this reminded me of like a major key guitar focused boards of Canada, early boards of Canada record of like the lo-fi, the slowly unspooling melodies, all of this extra ambient or field recording noise, which is really cool. 
The problem is that Boards of Canada does it and it's eerie and it's off-putting, but mm-hmm. in a very uh, entrancing kind of way. In For Bibio, it's just... Yeah. yeah. For Bibio, it's like I've taken a nice bath and that's and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no extra <laughs> hook beyond that. It's just like kind of pretty pretty ambiance that's going on and as you were pointing out especially with the first three tracks there's some really solid hooks and like these burbling noises that are really just lovely Mm -hmm. but the rest of the album just kind of falls into this very low-key ambiance that's not enough to drag you in whether it's because there's something more happening or it's more beautiful it's just kind of there yeah yeah. I, it's one of those things where because it doesn't have that sepia sheen that hand-cranked has that just kind of ruins what the compositions are, there's an accessibility to feet. I do feel like because it is really a collection of songs and things I've been working on all this time, there's maybe not less of a coherence to it. But the moments that work for me, it was Willow, this two-minute thing, just mm-hmm. very light beat, just very simple strum thing. There's an atmosphere to it that just envelops me. It is one of my favorite things he may have ever done. I'm not even kidding. Oh, wow, yeah. And, but that's just one song out of 17. And some of these are like 70 seconds. Some of these are three minutes. Ibuli uh, in Grey is my favorite of the many Bulees that we have uh, across this thing here. And but then... There is a hint at the end towards what we were going to get later, Poplar Avenue, a 17 minute, Well, yeah. in the reissue they did, yeah, it was 17. Oh, I guess on whatever the original format is it came out, it was only like six minutes or something like oh. that. So then they, they kind of expanded it out. But I do, it's one of those things where as a kind of like pseudo-ambient soundscape, I dig it. It's one of those things. I, yeah. I don't always love it when he goes to a full like ten plus minute territory, but like mm-hmm. he he can he can make it work. And I I also agree. I'm not going to be too mad if uh, Phi goes down this way, but I will also just kind of throw out in my end. It's not as bad, but I do have to briefly point out my other potential on there. And again, I'm not going to be mad either way. But I'm honestly going to throw out vignetting the compost, and here's why. The biggest thing for me on this one here, when he starts moving into more song-based uh, territory, I love it. I love hearing him incorporate his vocals more. I love hearing more traditional song structures. I, it's not exactly the same as Hand Crank, but there is still that little bit of the hiss and crackle kind of carried over. Not as bad as Hand Crank, not as overtly dominating the entire album as Hand Crank, but there's a little bit which just kind of takes some moments off of Vignette in the Compost and just kind of weighs them down a little bit for me, which is a shame because Weekend Wildfire, for me, fucking slaps like hell. Yeah. There's a gorgeous guitar melody he has on the ephemeral Bluebell. Like, I really mm. enjoy a lot of compositions on here, but if I'm weighing the number of songs I like on Vignetting, which I think are more than five, but then I also think about I still have to kind of push through a little bit less, but the sheen is still there, that little crackle sheen of hand-cranked. It's kind of a give-or-take composition, so that's kind of like, I'm just tossing that into the mix just for the sake of. I would personally definitely put Compost above Fee, and uh, Vignetting the Compost is one of the cuddliest albums <laughs> I've listened to recently. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, like, it's adorable. Yeah! And, I, I, and like, there's just these little, it feels like kind of the crux of some of his work, which is he wants to feel, make you feel like you're in a garden, hanging out. And, like, mm-hmm. that is the first album, and a ma- I think a majority of those compositions land within that feeling, within that vision. So I would definitely put it above Fee. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, too, just because Fee is, is nice, but Vignetting the Compost actually has things, like, big takeaways that I could I could see myself coming back to on its own. Like, Fee would be a nice, like, you need 
ambience or just like nice things on in the background while you're doing something else. Whereas doing like the getting the compost, there's actual songs on here that I would seek out. Like you mentioned Weekend Wildfire. I I do think that's really strong. Um, I oh, even yeah. really like the opener, uh, Flesh yeah. Rots Pip Zone. I'm down with Greater the Pits. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that there's, there's a, a few more moments of like clarity on this record that aren't really there on the, the previous two. So Nathan, what you're trying to say is you're just looking for your Mrs. Compost is what you're saying. I, I, how can you hate an album that has a title called Mr. and Mrs. Compost? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd say based off of that uh, by itself, I think we're fine with putting five down at number nine, it sounds like. And it's not, I want to, I want to reiterate, I don't think Fi is a bad album at all. I think it's pretty solid, ambient, folk, all of that stuff. It is such a step up from Hand Cranked. It came up Such before. I don't understand what happened in the process. Well, I really don't. I, I think I do understand. Is that, okay. you know, Phi is, it, as you mentioned, it's a collection of recordings that he made over the course of four years while he was studying music. And so it's, you know, there's a little more time for, I think, each of the ideas to have presented itself. And whereas Germany. then the following year he released an album that was pretty much the same length so that means that he absolutely wrote and recorded it in a much shorter amount of time so it sort of falls into that sophomore slump that i think a lot of artists run into and thankfully you know he got over that yeah quickly. cool yeah. all right well in that case number 10 hand crank number nine five nathan what would you throw at number eight this is going to be a controversial Uh-oh. pick, I feel like, and I need to apologize ahead of time to one of my favorite ambient writers, uh, Daniel Bromfield, my friend. Phantom Brickworks. I'm not a fan. Oh. I, hate to, I hate to say it. But, okay. I, but I want to hear other people's opinions on it because people who like this album really fucking like this album. And people who don't like Bibio got into him because of this record. So I want to hear what y'all's opinions are mm-hmm. as well. I'd, I'd say my biggest thing before we even talk about this is where do you fall on the scale of Ambia? Um, I am a massive fan of Stars of the Lid, of Tim Hecker, of, uh, you know, if you go more harsh, people like Ben Frost and stuff like that. I really do love ambient music. Tim Hecker might be in my top five artists of all time. Um, I adore his stuff. The problem that I have sometimes with the genre is I, this will be released on the 2010s cross promotion. Uh, I just interviewed Ellery Saxel, who is a composer from New York, and she just made a record that felt very similar to Gas's Pop. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like ambient techno, n- mostly to reflect nature, to reflect the seasons. And she said in the record, she was ta- or uh, on record was talking about how you can do a repetitious phase for two minutes and it doesn't make any sense. You can do a repetitious phase for 10 minutes and suddenly becomes revelatory. And the thing is, Phantom, Phantom Brickworks tries to do that, but for me, it never becomes revelatory. The first half of it just feels like wallpaper to me. I disagree. Wow. And okay, I, but I want to hear. I want to hear. You're yeah, damn yeah. right you do. Uh, the <laughs> biggest thing, so for me, is one of the things where you mentioned Daniel Bromfield. He and I, for the past three years, have been doing the uh, best ambient records list for Pop Matters uh, as well. And so we exchange a lot of ambient stuff back and forth. And it's one of those things where, like, 
it's ambient is such a hard thing to define in terms of itself because at its worst it is just sonic wallpaper you are completely correct but it's also that thing where if you hit that groove if you hit that thing it's kind of like one of my favorite ambient records of all time is by marcus pop he goes under the name oval and then he put out this album called uh, 94 discount and basically it's like he was a glitch artist it's that thing where like if you back in when you had cd players and you hit the fast forward button and held it down and just kind of skip through the songs like eh, oh, eh, 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 you know kind of did that thing he took all of that, that sound, that little sketchy part, and turned it into these 20 long minute like ambient things. And it was just like a revelation when I heard it because it was just like, how can you do a 24 minute song where it sounds like all of these different things are moving at different tempos and times and yet it evolves and it changes. And it just, it's something where you aren't always able to articulate, but an ambient artist, especially an ambient composition that works, always knows how long to stay and how long to leave and it just leaves you with that feeling and it's always a bad ambient artist will push it even as far as like 15 seconds too long and it takes you out of the moment it's i think ambient by itself is one of those things where it can be kind of that mental wallpaper or the thing to have in the background to distract your subconscious while you're doing it but other times it can absolutely be art and for me phantom brickworks I would not put it in my list of the greatest ambient albums of all time. I would say that when this came out in 2017, when I was doing the ambient list, it wasn't in my top 10 ambient, but it was in the conversation. And I think that's kind of how I ultimately feel about it. I think that that thing where he goes a little bit harsh on tracks like Ivy Charcoal, when it gets a little bit more minor key, a little bit more sinister, it adds character to it, but it doesn't have the same overall effect for me as the rest of this album, because it is supposed to be this quiet whisper of a thing. And even when I interviewed Bibio, he mentioned how, like, for him, he viewed it more as a side project than anything else, which is why also he put out the EP, Phantom Brickworks 4 and 5, kind of implying that this by itself was, you know, the three Phantom Brickworks pieces that he has in there were its own self-contained things, and he just kind of continued onward. I think it's a phase for him. I think it's something that he wants to do because there have been instrumental ambient bits all throughout his career, and for him to push full on to it, I think it's an interesting revelation. I feel like it does need a little bit more time and just a little bit more tuning to kind of get there, but I will say, I've put on this record so many times, especially like if I've had like a rough morning at work or something like that, just to have this on in the background is kind of like this weird calming presence on here. It's just one of the things where I do like that it kind of, it's an ambient record, but it adheres to the song times that you would expect for like a traditional like song structure, three or four minutes or whatnot. So it's one of those things where I, if we're debating between this and vignetting the compost, like in terms of that kind of thing, I, 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 I could see the argument being made for it, but I just want to say that I don't necessarily dismiss it as wallpaper myself. I, so it's actually very funny because this is where I was also going to breach the topic of Phantom Brickworks. Although I also, because there are certain tracks on here that are very successful for me, like I think the opening track, um, and, and I, this week I made sure that when I was listening to Phantom Brickworks that I was paying attention to it. So I wasn't just letting it wash in the background. Because right, right, right. I don't think, especially for ambient music, if you don't, focus on it you won't really have yeah, an idea of what it. it's doing yeah um but i so the the title track phantom brickworks one as it were the last like four minutes like kind of make me missed up like pretty consistently so i think that it's you know it's a 13 minute song but what it does is so successful it really like unlocks something for me um, but then there are other tracks on here who that that aren't as successful. But I, I do think it's hard to 
rank with the other albums because that. it's such a different animal that I, you know, could put it here. I could also put it at number four. Like that's how that's how much like depending on the mood. If I'm in the mood for ambient, I think it's it's really well done. I still like it, it, it better it, than hand crank though. It's weird. <laughs> I do I, I do want to say it's not like I think it's a bad ambient record at all. The second half of it actually ca- caught me a lot more. It felt like it had a bit of startup time to really get into kind of as engaging as ambient can be. But I, I agree with that premise of it is just such a screwball different left field kind of thing as compared to everything else in the discography that as I was re-listening to his discography, that might be part of it of like, he does the beat tape thing. He does the Neo soul thing. He does the guitar works. He does this. And then a full record of ambient is just like, this feels like it's a parallel world to everything else. So it's a little hard to deal with. It's funny that you say it feels like a parallel world because I was reading that he started work on some of these tracks as early as 2007. So he took basically an entire decade to finish this album while he was doing all of these other things that we're about to talk about. Interesting. Well, that is interesting. I think it's one of those things where as much as like I will always stand a good ambient record myself, I also kind of understand that in terms of how much of a left field it is for discography, if we put it at number eight, it's not because it is his third worst album or anything. I just feel like the Bibio discography, he he created the curveball, so he has to suffer the consequences of it. <laughs> you know, uh, it's one of the things, it is a lovely record, and I would encourage people to listen to it actively, but uh, inter- it's hard to rank uh, waves of growing and building and cascading synths versus acoustic guitar, funk pop excitement, you know? So I, I do think that in terms of, it's still better than hand crank. So yeah, I've, I'd i personally be fine at this point with putting a Phantom Records at number eight. You've convinced me. Y'all convinced me. Okay, I'm 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 comfy with that. I think I would still put vignetting the compost below it, but I'm not gonna fight super hard. So what do you think, okay. Nathan? That it just I I I would definitely I would definitely put vignetting and compost above, but I might be outvoted here, and that's totally fine. That's fine. <laughs> we can put Phantom Records at number eight, but I, I would that. say at that point, let's let's put. Uh, I, the yeah. 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 Would you even yeah. say that? Okay, cool. This is great. Look how f- nice we're getting along. It's so wonderful. We're so cordial. Uh, and well, that means that we have Hand at number 10. We have Fee Fi at number 9. We have uh, Phantom Breakers at number 8. We have Anitting the Compass at number 7. We're in the, the top 6, which means it's now time to draw out the nice Nathan Stevens, you monster. What would you not need at number 6? This is hard to say because I definitely have a, we'll get into them later, a couple that I'm like, these are like top tier. I'm going to come back to them constantly. And then there are, are three records that it's more of, I'm only going to come back to the highlights, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay, okay, okay. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to put up uh, A Mineral Love. <laughs> yeah. I, I apparently have said something blasphemous. <laughs> Which is fine. It's fine. You said the knives were coming out. Is that like your number one, Evan? <laughs> Walk us through your uh, wall logic on this thing here, <laughs> I think one of the things that is both his greatest strength and occasionally his greatest weakness is kind of this dog's breakfast album of like, here's a neo soul song, here's an Irish folk song, here's a Scottish, you know, 
here's an ambient song, yada, 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 yada. And the thing is, they can almost feel like mixtapes, which can work really, really well for some of them. I feel like A Mineral Love has a sequencing that I'm not quite completely behind in terms of the flow of the album really does feel... Uh, janky. It goes back and forth. The puzzle pieces don't quite fit. It goes all over the place. Uh, and I still can't... I, I think you you probably love this song. I have no idea if I love or hate the way you talk. Because uh, it is like Bibio doing... With Gautier doing like the most 80s cheese. Like if only we could have the careless whisper saxophone in the middle of it. It was the only way to make it more kind of 80s on that. that. That's my takeaway from it. Although it does have... St. Thomas, which is probably my top five Bibio songs, because it's just a gorgeous uh, Quicksilver guitar composition. So, those are my thoughts. I like it. Do you want me to go first, Devin? What? <laughs> um, so, speaking of dog's breakfast, your opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's funny that you, you say that because I, I actually really like the variety here. Because cool. I think that on some of his other albums that are um, have similar disparate genres going on, the sequencing is almost a little too like segmented. Like here's your quiet mm. section, and then it ramps up, and here's the energetic section, and then and so okay. I, I really like that there's some variety here. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it: five of the songs on this album are in my top ten video songs. Okay. I also Dope. think that there are I there are sections where it's not as strong. Like I'm not a huge fan of Why So Serious or Say La Vie or Ren Tales. And so that's like a pretty big mark against it for me. But then like I think Town and Country is fantastic. I didn't know that he would ever write a song like that. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Rexira is mm-hmm. my favorite video song. Um, oh, it's okay. Just, yeah, yeah. It's short and it's beautiful. And I just, I have absolutely no complaints. I love the lyrics. I love all of the guitar work. I weirdly, really love Gasoline and Mirrors. I, I also, I'll get into this in the happy hour too. I think pretty much every time he collaborates with Waxdag, it's just one of my favorite things he's done. He's done some remixes for them that are really great. Um, yeah, I kind of can't say enough good things about this record. Um, oh. It's not it's not my number one, even though this was my introduction to Bibio. Um, and it's definitely the album I've listened to the most, easily, by like a lot. Mm. But it's not my number one because I, I, I does have some issues. But yeah. Evan. So, yeah, long story yeah. short, if this isn't my number one, it's pretty much close to it. And okay. uh, the reason is, is because I, more than anything else, I love my indie weird shit. I love it when my indie weird shit embraces pop structure. And that is just a through line throughout this podcast, throughout my life, throughout everything. And to see the way that Bibio grew from the jump he does from Venita de Campos to Ambivalence Avenue is huge because all of a sudden now he's working with wah and funk guitar things. He's working with kind of more beatscapes. He's kind of doing that while still being his own BBOE acoustic self. And then between that and then Mind Boquette and then Silver Wilkinson, it's just this gradual kind of like progression in terms of like figuring out what he wants to do. And I feel like Mineral Love is almost the zenith of what pop BBO is. And I mean that in the best, most complimentary way. Because by the time you have the little fucking Steely Dan little sax line coming 
down and feeling. But the time that you, the fact that you open up with this little fucking gorgeous like acoustic part of pedals on here, and of course, Town and Country is just I think one of the finest compositions he ever made. Closing out with the gorgeous synth lines that light up, light up the sky. It is a fucking fantastic record. It is one where there is diversity in it, but it still feels like it comes from a place because the Bibio of Mineral Love and the Bibio of Silver Wilkinson are two different Bibios. There's a correlation between them, but I can still hear the differences in between all of that mm -hmm. too, which is, I think, amazing to me. I would say, in a weird way, a Mineral Love has more DNA in common with Ribbons than it does with Silver Wilkinson, just because of the style of what he's going for and in terms of still trying to figure out that fine line between acoustic and pop. I think the way that he is constantly battling that, there's a tension in there. And that tension is so compelling as a listener, where even if I don't love every single moment of it, like, why so serious? I mean, I understand what? it is like, so serious. It is goofy. <laughs> it is fucking goofy <laughs> shit. And it's one of those things where, like, I kind of enjoy it as just a little bit of a trollop pop moment than it is. And so therefore, Troll like, I will not... I will not stand here for any mineral love slander. And hey, yeah, I understand it may not be number one, but I love this record and all that it aims for and all that it achieves. So I appreciate your opinion, but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and toss something out. I've honestly been kind of like, if I was in this position, what would I put at this point? And this go is one of those it. things where, looking at the remainder of the albums that we have here, it's fucking tough, man. It really, yeah. really is. And for me... If this is like this is like gun to my head at this point because if I were to think about what's going in our number six slot, it's it's tight, but I think I just kind of have to go with Ambivalence Avenue. And the reason is, is because there are moments on this album that are fucking incredible, and there are moments that are frustrating as shit. And it's hard to kind of like balance some of those things together. Like, man, I really like the palm of your wave. How is this kind of like low-key minor thing? Mm -hmm. And the thing is that I think I would enjoy Fire Ant if it didn't have two fucking minutes of random fucking intro on another two minutes of fucking outro to try and get to its goddamn meat. You know? <laughs> like, it's one of those things where I think Ambivalent Zabby was a breakthrough for him in so many different ways. And there are moments, the little fucking funk guitar that opens Jealous of Roses is just subliminal. It is so great. It's just, it's, I constantly am battling this album. I still, after weeks of listening to it, don't know if I like Sugarette. Like, it's kind of like, I'm kind of in this whole oh different God, world. Completely. Yeah. You know, and so that's why, like, for me, it's kind of like down to a couple things. I would not put Mineral Love at number six. I would throw out Ambivalence Avenue at this point. I'm totally cool with that because Ambivalence, you hit the nail on the head because it is the album that I think I'm the most frustrated with because it has some of the highest highs, but it also has these troughs where it's like, I think part of the problem is that Bibio often got lumped with a bunch of the chill wave artists at the time and the beat maker mm -hmm. artists at the time, but he was trying so many other things simultaneously that it sometimes felt like because he was such a polymath he wasn't dedicating to the beat tate stuff as the same way you would see a baths or a mm -hmm. nostra thing or a shlomo who would say no, no no we're gonna do an entire record that's gonna be beat tape you know really a dedication to dilla or madlib except you don't have to any have anyone rapping on it because we're gonna do these interesting melodic things over the top yeah and in Bibblehead's avenue when it goes into that avenue <laughs> jokes um doesn't quite get there because i can't 
when it does the beat tape stuff or some of the more lo-fi kind of stuff, I can't hear anyone rapping over it, but it's also not interesting enough to just stand on its own. But as you were saying, it has these incredible peaks of just like some of his best guitar playing, some of his best hooks. It's a frustrating album. And apparently his most popular song of all time, Lover's Carvings. Which is weird to me. Like, I like that song, but it's weird. Evan found it. So it was used very prominently in like a prototype video for Google Glass. It was like a proof of concept. It was before they had any of the um, actual like technology done and ready to show the public. But it was just sort of like showing off what some of their ideas for it were. It was like a two minute and 30 second like ad. And it, it was like a two minute ad. It has 22 million views. Jesus Christ. And it's unlisted. Because I'm sure they just, because I'm sure it's hosted on YouTube, but it's Google. So they just used it yeah. as like promotional. But so that is like. A I guy literally goes clearly, into a bookstore and buys a book of how to play ukulele. And by the end of it is video calling his girlfriend and literally playing the guitar drug pluckings to lever carvings after listening to it while walking across the streets of New York. Like, yeah. It's, it's. So it's, I think that's pretty clearly <laughs> like that, that exposed him to a, a large audience. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> But that's also that's I mean I love I love that song. That's wild. Yeah. I love that song. I think the title track, Ambivalence Avenue, oh, is yeah. like it almost hints at where he went on uh Wake Up. It's like it's like almost like South Asian inspired, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um but honestly that's kind of I, this is absolutely this is up next somewhere for me. I I'm actually gonna throw out one other option. Oh my god. Okay. And that would be, and I think I'm going to upset some Bibio fans with this, it would be Rivets. Um, See, that's that's surprising for me, but I, I want to hear what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go I, ahead. I enjoy Bibbins. Bibbins? <laughs> I enjoy Bibbio Rivets, Bibbins. Bibbins. I enjoy Rivets and, and would not be surprised at all if it ends up higher than this. I just... Uh, this album took almost too long to open up to me where I'm like almost annoyed with it at this point mm. in this week. Like I've been listening to this album, you know, for the past two weeks almost. And I'm finally sort of getting it to connect with me, but it's still holding me at arm's length a little bit. And I can't even necessarily tell you why, because it seems like I should like it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, there's there's things that grab me on like before is uh, or like old graffiti is really solid. Um, I think it's your bones is absolutely stunning. But then, for example, curls is also one of by far one of his most popular songs. And I don't get it. I don't get it's not special to me. And that's sort of this album as a whole. There's just a lot of like, yeah, it's okay. I that that's interesting because this album clicked with me immediately, not in terms of like just, oh, I love it. It's one of the greatest albums of all time. But, you know, like I said earlier, walking around in the springtime in Texas with this, this is going the soundtrack on, for that. It's I, maybe maybe it's a, it, 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 for me, it was an environmental thing of my mind mm. was already on springtime. And it said, yes, this is the exact sound that that needs to be. Yeah. yeah. I, for me, it's one of those things, I know Taryn's process is that sometimes he goes and, like, after he listens to everything, he then kind of puts his favorites in kind of a row in a playlist and kind of listens through those on there. And initially, uh, the internet went out last night, so as I was kind of going through my video stuff, I just had to go off of Spotify and onto just my regular hard drive where I have all of these. 
And in terms of ranking things, I then kind of sorted it by the one to five star ranking I did. And it's amazing to me how many four star songs were off of Ribbons. Uh, it's one of those things where at 16 tracks, it's a bit long. I'm not going to lie about that. But it's one of those things where the fucking weird-ass synth experiment that is Pretty Ribbons and Lovely Flowers weirdly doesn't sound out of place on this record here. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where between that and, of course, you know, the, uh, the having cow moves and the art of living, uh, like, there were so many I other will. wonderful Sorry. little, like, moments on it here. And also watch... On, on brand! Yeah. On brand! <laughs> Murr, that cow needs to get a feature credit. I hope he gets a Grammy. <laughs> Uh, but also, uh, Watch the Flies is one of my probably one of my all-time oh, favorite I like that songs. Too, that yeah. song just fucking rocks my shit. And it's one of those things where I'd say it's a little bit too long, and it's kind of weird because I constantly feel like Ribbons and Sleep on the Wing, they're kind of two parts of the same whole. And it's the thing is that like I think there's a lot of things I like on Ribbons. I just think Ribbons could have used a little bit more focus. And I think for me, that's kind of the thing where like Sleep on Wing... I feel like it's truly that classic double album thing where I think if somehow he was able to take all the tracks on Ribbons and Sleep on the Wing and was able to combine them into like a solid 12-track collection, he would have maybe one of his greatest albums of all time. I agree. Isn't, isn't this one of the things we've kind of talked about, though, is because Fee is so much better than Hand Cranked because Fee was edited over four years. Yes. yes. And this is like, again, best worst thing about Bibio is that he will indulge any extraneous activity he wants to do, but not necessarily have the time to edit himself down. I think that is an absolutely fair point as well. And that's, I didn't necessarily mention this when we were talking about A Mineral Love, but that is one of the, um, my biggest complaints about that album and about his work as a whole is how you'll have like, like, for example, I mentioned Gasoline and Mirrors is one of my favorites because it's a five and a half minute song, and the first half is perfect, but then it has two different ambient outros. And that's just sort of something that happens a lot over his discography, where he'll have like a beautiful piece, and then he'll muddy it by making the song six minutes instead of four. Um, and I feel like that happens some on this album too. Yeah. I, I, I would say that I think I would go with Ambivalence Avenue at this point, but I, I, I really enjoyed Ribbons, and, but I get your complaints for sure. And it's interesting to see, this is the whole thing about the chartographers, is you can see the themes, the weaknesses, and the strengths of an entire artist over yeah. their discovery. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, in that case, in that case, I'll, I'll do the, con I'll be brave, controversially a brave, I'd say at this point, let's put Ambivalence Avenue at six. Okay. Ribbons mm -hmm. at five. Can we, I'm okay with that. Can we yeah, all can we okay agree with that? With that? Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. sound good? Yeah. Okay. In that case, let's go ahead and do that. That is Ambivalence Avenue at six. That is Ribbons at five. And for me, that, of course, leaves it at number 10, Handcrake, number nine, five, number eight, Fender Brickworks, number seven, Vignetting the Compost, number six, Ambivalence Avenue, number five, Ribbons, Leaving Us, Mamboka, Silver Wilkinson, A Mineral Love, and Sleep on the Wing. And I just got to say it right now. Before we get into it, if we're going to put Ribbons at number five, then I think Sleep on the Wing has to be next, personally. Uh, I, I am just <laughs> such a, not. Well, no, no, no. I'm just such a sucker for that type of music uh -huh. that I know it's, like, directly feeding into my brain. Of, like, I grew up, my dad was pl always playing, like, Nickel Creek and Wyndham Hill when I was growing oh. up. Which is like, you know, <laughs> so you're, like, that, the perfect audience for this, yeah. No, it, it, it is like he figured out how to worm his way into the dopamine center of my brain and just kept pushing that button over and over again. Don't, so, don't, yeah. don't let Evan gaslight you yeah. about your feelings <laughs> of, of for Sleep on the Wing. 
Because um, I... Sleep on the Wing is definitely one... It's sort of like Phantom Brickworks where, like, I had it all over the place in my ranking. potential ranking. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, in the current moment, I'm almost leaning more towards Nathan right now uh, because uh, I think there's only two songs on here with vocals. Uh, it's Sleep, Sleep on the Wing and Oak Moss. Yeah. And Oak Moss, and they are both absolutely incredible. And I love I, Oak Moss. I also think like the majority of the instrumentals on here, uh, Couple Swim is gorgeous. So lovely. I Miss fucking Letter love that. Miss Letterhassett. Absolutely feels like it came off of a Nickel Creek album. Um, Milky Way of a Rattling Hope is stunning, and I love the way it sort of like tumbles over itself. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but Opox is beautiful. Crocus is this Crocus. weird, like... This little fucking bass experiment that he's filtered through to kind of rest with the waveform a little bit. Yeah. That was that came up in yeah. the interview with him of, like, how we created that. I'm like, oh, shit, son. Like, yeah. It was, it was crazy. So, and then, like, watching thus the heron is all pool sounds pretentious as fuck, but then actually sounds with what the title is somehow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you would... I, I, yeah. I, well, I would hear everybody else's what would be in this... Because we last time I was on, there was always ranges. There are right. segments. Yeah. And I feel like with this, at this point, like with Bibio, it's a lot harder because although he has clearly defined eras, he does enough weird things within them where it doesn't... I, it's one of those things where, like, we talked about Hankranked, and I honestly feel like, in my personal opinion, we talked about the bad Bibio album. You know, I feel like at this yeah. point, like, because, like, there are people, I'm sure, who fucking love Fight to Death and what it does, even though it's kind of a, you know, hodgepodge of different things, but... Really, if we look at all the albums are hodgepodges, but just how good is the hodgepodge? How good is the dog's breakfast, as you so wonderfully use, in a phrase I literally hadn't heard prior to this? Really? I really hadn't, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's very... I'm from Utah. It's like, you're from Utah? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I... So I, I'm sort of conflicted, because, like, obviously, I love everything that's next. Or that's rest. Left. Everything that's left. Um, I could see... Mineral Love going here. I could see Sleep on the Wing going here. I'm going to throw out my first. I think we just need to talk about the other albums at this point with the way yeah. we're going. Yeah, yeah. yeah go number ahead. Number four would be Silver Wilkinson. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, you just stand him in the heart a little bit. Um, <laughs> I love this album, but this is the one I was. I, I think that this one suffers from sequencing. I think. Yes. The yes. first four songs. I The. And let me clarify, I think The First Daffodils is stunning, gorgeous, Ooh. a beautiful composition. Ooh. Dye the Water Green is lovely, but too long. But then to get through Wolf and Mirroring All to finally get to Atutalur, I'm almost checked out by that point. You know, it's and I just feel like even not changing any of the songs and, and switching them out with something else, if you just sequenced this album differently, I think I would enjoy it more. Uh, which is part of why I'm putting it here. I can no, I can totally understand that because part of the reason that I don't let him gaslight you, Nathan. I'm just saying <laughs> <it. laughs> like, it's all it's all it's all subjective. We forget that it's all subjective. I mean, uh, but it's not like, definitive. Uh, my uh, the 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 record I got into Bibio was the Green EP, mm-hmm. and the thing is, I think that one. Again, because what we said earlier is that it is because it's only like six or seven songs long. It's edited incredibly well because it's just like here are the exact songs in the exact sequence that almost tell this like 
journey or this story because there's no troughs, there's no downtime. It's like each song immediately seeks into the next way into not just because the melodies or the harmonies might pick up on something that's from the last song, but the emotional through line works perfectly Mm -hmm. as well. Silver Wilkinson is the best and worst of kind of blowing that out. There's definitely more bloat, but you also get more of his dancey stuff rather than the green EP is very meditative. Mm -hmm. Silver Wilkinson goes from extremely monk-like and meditative to upbeat and dancey, something that you could hear in a club. And I love that duality. It's not edited quite well enough. And I think I agree with you. If you could sequence it slightly differently, it would work better but i i love that record so i would i would definitely push it upwards but i understand we keep coming back to sequencing that keeps being a theme here yeah and also silver wilkinson that was the record that got me on the bbo kick in the first place so uh, there's always going to be a little light in my heart for silver wilkinson even if i can admit it doesn't have my favorite moments and i'm specifically looking at business park yeah. uh, which is just it's just i i get what he's going for and it just doesn't work for me but let me tell you something. A Tune to Lure. I mean, as much as we talk about, and you always go through like the individual songs, but like A Tune to Lure practically is an album-defining, career-defining moment for me. It is so fucking perfect as a song. It is <laughs> yes. so beautiful. It does everything I want in a song, and I keep coming back to it time and time again. And it's one of those things where between that and then you go into Sycamore Silhouetting, which is honestly like, I kind of rediscovered this week. It didn't really do anything when I first got it, and kind of like this week, I'm like, this is actually lovely. And then you. Oh, fucking you. Jesus Christ, I love that song so goddamn much. This is him at his most kind of beatscape but it is so fucking but great. It, it works. Yes. And That's it's the, when the beats work. It's one of those things where, like, you have these more beat-based things within this kind of little, like, more ambient kind of, like... And I mean, and truly, the first Daffodils sounds like a better sepia-toned song than all of Handcranked, if that makes any sense, just in terms of the vibe. Yeah. Because he loves those 70s synths. He loves making it sound like a, you know, like a television sitcom theme, but, like, mellowed out, man. You know, like, there's just so much to it that just, I think, is dynamic and incredible. But, like, Silver Wilkinson... I love, I think my biggest thing this week with Silver Wilkinson is that the highlights for me are insane. And it's one of those things where the other moments that don't, I don't think there's a bad song on here, maybe except for Business Park, but just it's one of those things where this was an album that I love a lot and I also just happen to love the highlights a lot. A Mineral Love, I can take the lesser songs because I feel like so many of those songs are like my all-time favorites, personally. Like, there's so many on there. But I can see why you would want to go ahead and put Silver Wilkinson on there. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily opposed to that, but let me just say, since we're talking about it, since we're here, let's talk about My Boca too, Because I feel like that just needs to be a conversation that happens at this point. That would be the record I would put here, personally. For yeah, oh, I think so. Please, please, oh, not, please. not a, a mineral love? Mm. Okay, let's, let's talk, no, let's talk let's... about my book before we make any rash decisions. So the thing is that I think basically up until Silver Wilkinson, it felt like there was a joke about the guy who made System Shock, System Shock 2 and Bioshock and then Bioshock Infinite you know, the video game yeah. series mm-hmm. that there was a teacher behind him saying, good, now do it again properly, like each time. And it feels like for the first couple of records, that was almost the Bibio thing of like, okay, so we have these different modes. There will be an ambient-ish song here. There will be a British Isles folk-ish song here. <laughs> there will be a neo-soul. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it felt like 
each time he kind of, whether it was the production or the guests he brought on, the mixing, or even just the hooks, he became like a little more astute of like, kind of what Taryn was saying earlier of like getting away from like, hey, let's sandwich this between four minutes of ambient music for no reason. Right, right, right. And it kept going like that, uh, I think, until Silver Wilkinson and Mineral Love, which I think were the two best of, like, kind of cutting out the fat. I have different problems with Mineral Love, but mm-hmm. it's not the fat. It's some of the songs. Sure. Mine Bokith sounds like, kind of like, we've finally gotten this baseline that this is what a Bibio album is going to be, even though it's kind of all over the place. This is what a Bibio album is going to be. And that's why I enjoy it more than Ambivalence Avenue and Vingetting the Compost, because... It feels like a better version of both of those, but still suffers from a couple of the issues of both of those records of, again, sequencing issues. And what I wanted to give to y'all, what is your opinion of Take Off Your Shirt? Because I don't know what my opinion is. I think it sounds great at a strip club, personally. I, yeah, that's, just, that's just me. I, I have seen some people talking real shit about Take Off Your Shirt this week and, you know, trolling the comments and the reviews and things. <laughs> I feel really like it. I think it sounds like a solid spoon song. <laughs> you know? Like, okay, that's it, interesting. Yeah. Is it is it doing anything new? No, but it's it's fun. It's fun. And in a discography that goes literally everywhere, like, of course he has a song like this. You For know? a kid that That's grew up loving metal stuff, like, I, one of the things that came up in my interviews with him was like, do you like touring? Do you like doing live shows? And he's like, not really. You know, he likes doing, like, little video vignettes that he does in the forest where he just loops himself, but he doesn't like performing live. He just doesn't do any for him. But he remembers that, like, the thing he wants to do in terms of performance is go to a pub and have a, you know, like a beer or a glass of wine while listening to jazz. Like, that's what he wants in terms of a live show. But he talked about in my interviews that it was different because as a kid, he went to hard rock shows. He went to mosh pits. He's like, I don't know what happened, but I stopped being that kid after a while. But it's one of those things where, like, for me, hearing that kind of like, okay, take off your shirt makes sense because it's not hard rock, but it's one of those things, of course, you wanted to make kind of a rock moment. And also, I just envision a stripper lying on the floor, hitting their acrylic heels on the stage, you know, as that song is playing. It just makes sense to me. That's what I, that's the vibe I get. Stripper music, th- Bibio. <laughs> I think that's the problem is I'm so used to Bibio music being like, oh, yes, I'm reading Thoreau at a pond. <laughs> And then suddenly there's a fucking song where I could hear it in a strip club and the, the internal emotional whiplash is just too much. And I, I mean, you have to remember that this is the same man who in 2017 put out Phantom Brickworks, an entirely ambient album, and also the EP Beyond Serious, a tribute to French 90s house. So like... That's just who he is. There's going to be some whiplash. He here. contains multitudes. I will say, as, as much as I love a lot of things off of Fine Boca, Pretentious is might be my least favorite song. It gets to a place really? eventually, but it's it is, not very good. Oh, that fucking like discordant little guitar thing he starts with. It takes full two minutes for it to fade out, and I'm just like, dude, Jesus Christ, it just wears me. So I am have a complicated have complicated feelings about this record. <laughs> I mean, all of the four that we have left are. I think sort we of, all do, really. They're like yeah. they're sort of nebulously like each jumping to first place at different points. I personally think this album has his highest batting average. I don't. Mm, okay. I would not skip any of these songs. Now, 
I don't necessarily think that it has highlights on the same level that maybe some of his other things that we're talking about still do. But I just, I think it's really, really solid. As an album experience. As an an album experience, I also think the sequencing is right. And even the songs that maybe aren't as strong still have, have enjoyable parts to them. Like... Anything new isn't necessarily my favorite, but I still enjoy it. Same thing for the title It doesn't title bring anything new to the table, Or really. Feminine Eye. Feminine Eye, honestly, though. That is that is kind of a glorious uh, composition. Also, Great as much song. as... It's kind of like, a, like kind of the joyous kind of goof that it is. K is for Kelson, is literally. I love K is for Kelson. Oh my god, that sounds like a freaking Todd Turge track. I, 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 I do want to say, and this is because we're doing the nitty gritty criticism yeah. and we're ranking, I think basically everything beyond Ambivalence Avenue, if I was re-ranking from that year, all of them would be in my top 30 of the year. Like each, like, like in terms of if I was looking back at Mind Bokeh, Silver Wilkinson, Mineral Love, maybe not Mineral Love, but like Ribbons and <laughs> Sleep on the Wing, I know. But like a majority of these albums would at least have a song on my songs of the year yeah and a solid four or five of them would be on my albums of the year list so when we're doing this nitty grittiness it's because we're directly comparing them rather than the year it came out in the route larger context yes you know yes yeah and i I fully understand that and appreciate that too i will say that i was probably very impressed with mind book uh coming in here i'd say that like the title track is something that's like it's fine for me, but and also, but the way he ends with Saint Christopher is just I, I I love that it almost kind of invokes it was Willow in terms of like that perfect amount of like the right amount of beats with the right amount of acoustic guitar mm-hmm. to create that space that space that your head just gets lost in and swims in and whatnot. So and I and then, yeah, I can understand why Take Off Your Shirt can be seen as a little bit of a what the fuck, but also it's kind of one of those things, kind of like the interludes on an Outcast album when they do it well. Like it's kind of like that little reset that you have to kind of like get back into place, a kind of a shock yeah. to the system or a way to kind of get you back on there. So I think that of all things, especially since we're at an hour at this point in terms of talking about all things Vivio, <laughs> uh, I, I I'd say that we kind of have our individual things, and I think it's kind of down to these four records. I am still Mineral Love Stan, you know, through and through, but I understand it may not get to number one. I understand that i'd say in terms of mind bokeh silver wilkinson mineral love and sleep on the wing what could we agree on as a number four <laughs> I, I i would say sleep on the wing but that i don't know i'm just tossing it out there unless anyone has super strong opinions the other way i think that's fine <laughs> same here no same here Through because i was talking about i was talking about the dopamine stuff but the thing is it is a and I appreciate super concise albums, but it is something where it is tiny, compact, great for what it is, and then you immediately move on afterwards. Is that yeah. kind of a description of you? No. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm such a jerk. Great, so, so number four, sleep on the way. <laughs> number four, bullying. <laughs> Maybe. All right, cool. In that case, listen. I can read the writings on the wall. I can see things there. If we need to put a mineral love at number three, we can. I just want it to be known that it is my absolute all-time favorite video album altogether. I mean, my choice for number three at this point would be Silver Wilkinson. I, um, I, I, Nathan, <laughs> save up for yourself. My heart! <laughs> is, that, is that your number one? It is. It is my number one. I would... Man... 
This is this is the problem. This is this one of the hardest is... ones we've ever had. Yeah, I this maybe this goes into the happy hour, but I'm always curious about people's opinions on albums of whether what you were talking about earlier in terms of like is this a good batting average versus the highlights are so good that I'll overlook the troughs. Right, and that feels like the problem with these three is each one of them kind of has a different version of that. Yeah. Right. No, and I completely agree because uh, my Boca is a good solid album with not as many weak points, but for me. The highlights off of Mineral Love, it's especially all together in one place, are just so utterly transportive that it's just for me, like, it's just so obviously I can overlook some of the flaws or lesser tracks as it is just because I feel like it is like some of his best all-time songs are just on that album in one place. So maybe that provides a little bit of bias, uncertainly, I understand, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not opposed to acknowledging the bias and still holding my opinion that it's his best album, you know? Oh, yeah. Where do you stand? Where are you? Where are you feeling? Uh, what do you feel? I'm so conflicted. We all are. Yeah. Um. I, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna go say say this isn't necessarily how I was feeling going in, but this is my current ranking. Three, two, one would be <laughs> Silver Wilkinson at three, Mineral Love at two, and Mind Bouquet at number. What's yours? Nate? I think I. I feel like we're all different on this because I would go. Probably Mineral Love, then Mind Boket, then Silver Wilkinson. See, we're all, like, not quite... Yeah. There's no lineup. <laughs> well, but listen, I said it before, and you brought up some valid points. I still will take it to my grave. I'm fine with putting a Mineral Love at number three for the sake of consensus. Okay. I really, truly and, am. And so now it's a knockdown fight between Silver Wilkinson and Mind Boket. Yes. So <laughs> which way, what are you going to do, baby? What are you, what are you feeling? What, what are you... Nathan, of course, is Silver well, Wilkinson. he's Silver, Team Silver Wilkinson. Yeah. What are you, mm-hmm. Team? You're the tiebreaker here. Yeah. Well, you brought up some good fucking points, both of y'all. I hate y'all. <laughs> I really do. I, it, because, I mean, I understand Silver Wilkinson is the well, album that got me into it. It will always hold a place in my part. But also listening to all of his discography this week kind of highlighted some of the lesser tracks on it as well for me. And while I'd say the highlights on my book may not be as immediate or as striking or as incredible... As an album, I think it is stronger in terms of its sequencing and listing. And even though A Mineral Love is obviously the number one album of all time, if I were to do anything, I would throw the tie-breaking vote behind My Mocha at number one. Which is still, you gotta keep in mind, this top four is still so fucking good. But I mean, it's incredible. Shit, this top six? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. All right. In that case, you know what? Let's just go ahead. Let's just do it. Let's just go ahead and have our Lock It In segment brought to you by Glad. Uh, let's go ahead. Number 10 is Hand Cranked. Number 9 is Phi. Number 8 is Phantom Brickworks. Number 7 is Vignetti the Compost. Number 6 is Ambivalence Avenue. Number 5 is Ribbons. Number 4 is Sleep on the Wing. Number 3 is A Mineral Love. Number 2 is Silver Wilkinson. And number 1 is the Beyond Serious EP. It's so good. There's grooviness. There's synths. There's keyboards. I'm just kidding. It is my bokeh in one of the most contentious ones we've ever done. But that's also because BPO, in case you're listening, we love all your fucking albums so much and uh this has genuinely been a joy i mean we have a ranking at number one but as you can clearly see from our all wildly different opinions about what the number one should be it's it's a lot of good shit to go through it really really is but also most importantly there's a lot we need to talk about that's what a happy hour mini so is for and we're going to be doing it right after this and i feel like even on the albums some of these top three i didn't even talk about my like favorite songs so, yeah yeah so we're gonna do that so in the meantime though Nathan, yes. thank you so much for being here. 
course. We appreciate it's a delight. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. We can't wait to have you out for the happy hour. So, Taryn, as always, thank you for going on this journey. You got it, bitch. All right. And most importantly, <laughs> if you have thoughts or opinions, including your controversial number one pick, we want to hear about it. So make sure you go ahead, find us on our Facebook, send us something on our Twitter, send us an email at thechartographers at gmail.com, or if you really want us to read your thing, leave us a review, because we love the reviews. They help elevate the podcast. Uh, it means a lot if you throw one on Apple or whatever place we have podcast reviews. Do that. But most importantly, keep on listening, because you know that will be. Talk to you soon, everybody. Have a good one. Good. So it's going. We're going to have the theme song pumping in our ears. You can't hear it, sadly. Just know it's super funky. You've heard it. We're dancing. We're listening to some fucking Sam Sparrow <laughs> and shit. Oh, yeah.